unfortunately that's something that you just have to keep trying you like to keep rolling the dice you never know what's a good idea until you try yeah. it i first stumbled across david bennett's youtube channel when i searched the term did paul mccartney learn music theory which is pretty geeky i know but it's actually super important in the context of this interview so this channel the one that i now have with 600k subs was one in a line of many failures of channels or lesser successes. In this episode of the Courageous Content Podcast, you'll learn how David grew his YouTube channel to 645,000 subscribers without doing tons of keyword research. You want content that you'll be proud to have on your channel because every time you get one of those viral moments where suddenly the algorithm pushes you beyond your regular audience, those people will come in and what you want them to do is get hooked on your videos. David is one of the keynote speakers at my upcoming live event, Courageous Content Live, which is happening on the 1st and 2nd of November in Newcastle. That's in the UK. At the event, he'll be talking about how he's monetized his YouTube channel. So this interview is a chance for you to learn more about him and what to expect from his talk at the event. So what inspired you to start a YouTube channel? As long as I remember, I've been obsessed with YouTube and YouTubers and the idea of making and sharing things on YouTube. So I don't really remember a time when I wasn't interested in making videos on YouTube. And, you know, it's effectively a dream job to be doing it now, really. And your channel now has, I think, 645,000 subscribers last time I checked. How has it changed since you first started? When I first started, I was working as a professional musician. That was my, like, I did that for about 10 years. And when I first started, it very much wasn't part of my job. It was just like a thing I was doing on the side. And then there was never like a solid moment where it's like, oh, now it's my job. It's just over the last four years, things have peeled away. And now I am completely, I'm just a YouTuber. So it's weird. It's just slowly morphed into my career. And your first video was about three years ago. If Is that right? About three years ago? I, it's about four years ago now, I think. Four actually. years ago. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because the channel now, if somebody was to ask me to describe it, you can say if I haven't got it right, but it's the music theory of pop songs, which is quite a niche topic. But when I look back at your first videos, it's you playing the piano and really, really nice arrangements of popular songs. But it feels like it's moved along quite a lot. Could you talk a bit about how it's changed and why it's changed as well? Yeah, so this channel, the one that I now have with 600k subs, was one in a line of many failures of channels or lesser successes. And over the years, I've tried all sorts of different things, usually to do with music, but I've been teaching music, I've been performing music, writing music. This channel, I started with the idea of, okay, I'm going to do this format where I'm explaining music theory with pop songs. But I actually, the reason that the beginning of my channel was all me playing piano and, and that's it, is I wanted people to know that I am a musician and that's where I'm coming from with, from this angle. I'm not some like dry academic. So I wanted to make sure there was like a, good bank of, of actual music on the channel before I started getting into the, um, the lectures and the, and the analyzing. But even with the actual analyzing videos, the format has definitely evolved because when I first started, I was sort of just like trying anything, seeing what would work. And then when I stumbled across um, formulas that sort of hit a, hit a, um, a chord with people, I sort of decided to go down those avenues more. And now it's a very sort of clear format that people could recognize and be like, oh, this is one of David's videos. But at the start, it was just a mishmash of, of different ideas, really. And did you have a breakthrough video? Yeah, there's been a few videos where it suddenly, so I, I sort of 
rubbed the algorithms back the right way and, and it suddenly sort of shot up. One in particular was one about cla- um, pop songs that are based on classical music, which around, it was actually, you know, it, for, from personally, it was a perfect timed video because it was in February 2020, just as obviously the world was changing dramatically. And this video just sort of kept growing, kept growing. It's now my most viewed video with 4 million views. I don't know the exact numbers, but I'm sure that brought in a decent chunk of the people who are now subscribed to my channel. Wow. Are there any other videos that were sort of turning points when you thought, ah, there's something in this, this is going to work? Yeah, there's, there's various ones. Like, it's funny, like, when I upload videos, they will, some will just appeal and reach my existing audience, and then some will effectively go viral and, and break beyond. And, and that's the times when my channel grows and I see waves of new subscribers. And that kind of happens roughly every four months. I upload about three or four videos a month. And the way I see it, it's like rolling, every time you upload a video, it's like rolling the dice. Like you can never predict what's going to work. But then when it does work, it's suddenly, you know, whereas one video gets 100K, the next video will get 2 million in the same time span. It's just, you you can't predict it. And have you had any videos that have bombed? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you do get videos that bomb. And I feel like... When they do bomb, you can reflect and think, okay, maybe this topic didn't have as much appeal. Sometimes there's an element of just sort of like, I feel like wrong time, wrong place where the algorithm wasn't interested in, in promoting it that week. Because there's so many different factors at play, you know, whether someone else uploaded on the same day as you and, and whether the topic is trending right now, that sort of thing. But I think when, when it's weird that you upload it, obviously thinking, yeah, this will do well, and then suddenly it doesn't. But it gives you an opportunity to reflect on what you think your audience want and what your audience actually want. Yeah. And do you find that that's commonly the problem if a video doesn't do as well, that you had an idea of what you people wanted to learn about, but actually maybe you didn't quite get it right? Yeah, it could be the execution. It could be a good idea executed badly. But generally, I think, at least in my experience, it's an idea that was was never going to work. It, it just didn't have the appeal Maybe a very small subset of people liked it, but it didn't have that broad enough appeal to actually perform. And when you talked about execution, the execution wasn't right. What what does that mean? I think, you know, with any YouTube video, you could have a good idea and execute it well in the sense that you could edit it well, present it well. It could be a refined video that you've thought through and vice versa. You could have a bad idea, but spend loads of time and money presenting it really nicely you have to have both right. And obviously like editing, presenting, that sort of thing, that's skills you can learn. And, but having the great ideas, unfortunately, that's something that you just have to keep trying, like keep rolling the dice. You never know what's a good idea until you try it. And I'm guessing things like the length of your video, how you break things down, those kind of things will impact in terms of execution. The way I try and think about it is value the viewer's time. So anytime you're just like rambling about like, oh, subscribe, hit the like button, like, Get rid of that out the door. Like the moment you click on the video, the person needs to be engaged, mm. which is why you often get videos. I don't do this as often, but you get a lot of videos where they'll put the juicy bit at the beginning as a little sort of preview, and that keeps you watching. Because yeah. unlike traditional TV or whatever, YouTube is designed in a way that if you're not interested in the first 30 seconds, you can just click on the next thing. So you need to constantly be grabbing people, keeping them interested, respecting their time and attention. So the structure matters too. The, the Definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And where do you get your ideas from these days? A, a, a document of ideas. As you said, like my videos are about music and music theory. So often I'll be listening to a song or 
or something like that and something will jump out to me and I think, oh, that's interesting. I could talk about that. But I always try and consider how much appeal will this idea have. So I could be listening to quite an obscure song and it has something really cool in it. And I could do a video on that. But because the song is so obscure, not that many people will click on it. So it's a balancing act between finding something interesting and finding something with a broad enough appeal that people will actually click through. So I found your channel because I was searching, did the Beatles or I think it was probably did Paul McCartney know music theory? And I think it was around Christmas time. I'd just been given the Paul McCartney, the box set for Christmas. I was listening to lots of podcasts about Paul McCartney and I don't know why that question um, (laughs) came into my head, but it did. And interestingly, when I was talking to my dad about my event and I said oh I've got this guy who analyzes Beatles songs and pop songs he goes oh yeah I know I watch his videos <laughs> and uh, because me and my dad both Beatles fans but for me that sort of says it all really is that I had this question in my head which is probably quite a niche question but well, obviously not actually because you can talk about that video but it gave me the answer to a question that I had or, or a problem and is that how you approach it with your ideas thinking you know who's my ideal viewer what are they interested in? Basically, what are they searching for? I think, I think that's a really good way of, of thinking about it is your ideal viewer is you, like the, the creator. Like you should be creating videos that you would find interesting. And yeah, you had that question. I did Paul McCartney in the music theory. I had that question. So I thought I'd make a video on it because I wanted to answer the question. And that's the thing is that there's, there's so much information out on the internet, but people haven't curated it as much. So you could type into Google, did Paul McCartney in the music theory? and until I made my video, you get a bunch of like very loose, rambling ideas. If you're passionate about something, chances are there'll be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of other people in the world who are also passionate about it. So we now have this amazing technology where we can connect all these people. And Mm. even if it seems like a niche question, did did the Beatles say music theory? I think that video's got a couple million views. So there's at least a couple million people who are interested in that. And it's interesting what you said there about your ideal viewer being you. It's such an interesting question uh, or such an interesting point, I should say, because I've grown up where I've had this thing where I'm listening to a song. It literally drives me nuts because I can hear other songs. Mm. (laughs) And, uh, and, And I'm like, what is that song? Where does that come from? And it bugs me. And I learned music theory at school. I did A level music. I did to grade eight on various instruments. But it wasn't until I actually started analyzing songs properly that I was able to then understand what I was hearing and it's been really helpful for me to kind of break that down but if you sort of go down the pub with your friends it's not everyone that was sitting there will be saying I'm really fascinated with with songs that sound the same with similar chord progressions it's a community with your people isn't it who are interested in that topic and it sounds like you're creating content for that community that you're part of if that makes sense Mm. Well, I think yeah, being part of the community is a big part of understanding what will work on YouTube. For years before I started the videos I do now, I was watching similar creators doing what I do and loving their videos. But of course, it's only you know you watch them all and then you think, oh, I want more. So that kind of like made me think, well, there is there's demand and there's, there's people want this stuff. And the amazing thing about the internet is there has always been, since the beginning of time been all these people dotted around the world who have quite sort of niche interests. But the internet and the algorithm and whatever can connect these people with, you know, low, no, basically no friction. Like I can, I've got this group of six hundred thousand people who are all weirdly obsessed with music theory. 
so you're building a community and you're building a community of people who like you are interested in the same thing do you use keyword tools or any other tools to help you find out what you should be talking about so i don't use any like particular tools but i am thinking about how to title my video how to present it i think the thing is you can have a really great video with some really good information in it and if you sort of brand it wrong with the wrong thumbnail or the wrong title people won't find out mm. and there, there's some channels i watch on youtube who really should have a lot more subscribers but they're just not very good at presenting their work so i i know because i've watched it that i'll click on it and it will be entertaining but you know new viewers aren't going to be coming in um so i'm not using a particular tool like songs that are based on classical music i i even though it's a little bit like on the edge of telling the truth i said songs that rip off classical music and that's a, li a little bit more sensationalist but it's not like actually sort of lying or whatever it's clickbait but as long as the video delivers on the promise that you you make, people won't get agitated and annoyed by so-called clickbait. Yeah, and I noticed you've also created videos on uh, things like high-profile news stories like Ed Sheeran, who's in the news quite regularly for um, allegedly uh, ripping off other people's music. Is that quite an intentional thing? So this is what people are talking about. They're searching for information about this uh, online and you're jumping onto that, if you like. I think in my experience, because there's been a few times I've tried jumping on things that are happening right now. And although it sometimes works, generally speaking, the, because you'll be rushing and you'll be thinking in terms of, I want to make this quickly, not I want to make this well, it doesn't work. And like mm -hmm. you, you either miss the train, somebody does it better, or people aren't as interested as you think they are. What I'll do more is rather than what's hot this week, it's just what's hot in general. Like I did a video on Bohemian Rhapsody and like the film had already come out and you know it's not like I was trying to catch that wave, but people are just generally interested in Queen and Bohemian Rhapsody. They will be for the next few years, at least, if not mm. you know, for decades. And same with the Beatles. Is I got a noticeable boost on my videos when the recent Get Back documentary came out on mm. Disney Plus. But mm. people are always interested in these things. And I think you're wasting resources if you're chasing trends, in my opinion. Like just go yeah. for stuff that is has general appeal, not like no hot topic appeal. Yeah, as we're recording this, it's all about Stranger Things, isn't it? And mm. uh, Kate Bush. So you wouldn't rush out a video on. It, it's probably... really interesting that you mentioned that because I that exact thought process went through my head a couple of days ago, and it's a case of like you said, rushing out. Like I gave serious thought to. I, I could analyze running up that hill. It would probably do really well right now, but have I got the time? And you know, I've got other videos scheduled, and I have to get those done. So what will happen is I'll rush out some half-baked thing and it won't be very good. And I would have like, really pushed myself to get it done and I won't get the mm. rewards. So if you have the time and resources and you genuinely can make the same quality product you would have made if you weren't against the clock, mm. then yeah, chase, chase the trend. But I feel like nine out of 10 times that won't be the case and you'll be like rushing mm. to get it done. And so if you felt that Kate Bush was on an upward trajectory, then you might consider making a video if you think, actually, this is not just going to be this week or this month. Mm. This is going to be a trend moving forward. Then you might consider making a video when you've got the time. But I think the thing about YouTube as well, I think that could work on TikTok or Instagram, jumping on and picking up your phone and creating something. But with YouTube, you're creating content that is well, it's evergreen, isn't it? It could be there for a long time and you don't want to put up crappy work, I suppose. Yeah, I think like TikTok and that is all about quick, short content. 
which you can just pick up your phone and make. But that isn't what YouTube is about. The expectation of production value and, and duration is much higher on YouTube. And yeah, you because know, like TikTok, yeah, you'd be making like a 30 second, 60 second thing. It's a different game. But yeah, you want evergreen content. You want content that you'll be proud to have on your channel because every time you get one of those viral moments where suddenly the algorithm pushes you beyond your regular audience, those people will come in and what you want them to do is get hooked on your videos. So you want them to go through your back catalogue and with everyone that they watch, they personally are getting, are getting invested in you. And also the algorithm is, is thinking, this guy likes these videos. I'm going to show them more and more and more. So if you haven't got that evergreen back catalogue, you know, it doesn't matter if you have a viral hit, it won't lead anywhere. Yeah. A couple of questions that have crossed my mind as you've been talking for people who might be thinking about starting a YouTube channel or, you know, really going all in on one that they've got, which maybe isn't doing that great at the moment. So the first one was about, you said earlier, well, I was watching all these other videos and people were doing the kind of videos that I liked, like mine. So I will often hear people say that that's a reason for me not to start my own channel because somebody else is already doing that. What would you say about that? You obviously don't want to copy someone's format exactly, but you almost definitely won't because your personality, your resources and your angle will influence the video format. So it's true that when I started my channel, I didn't know what my niche, my angle would be. And now I could tell you, I spend a lot of time talking about the Beatles and like, I show a lot of like sheet music on the screen and actually directly analyze stuff when there isn't actually another channel that does that. But I didn't set out to do that. You just kind of like find your niche. And the bottom line is, even if your content is very similar to somebody else's, people often want more of the same. Like, you know, you see it in like movie franchises and whatever, like there's 101 superhero movies. And that doesn't mean that they're thinking, oh, we shouldn't make any more. They're thinking the opposite, like we should make more because people like this. Yeah. And I often say to people, there's only one of you. So even if you're tackling the same topic, you're Definitely. Very unlikely you're going to be doing it in the same way unless you're copying, which is not, not a good idea. And the other part of that was about quality. So I am imagining people listening and saying, well, he's talking about quality. That means that I need the best camera. It means I need to be brilliant at editing. And I will often see people procrastinate about starting YouTube channels for years because they maybe don't have what they would consider to be the right camera or they don't have the right setup or they don't think they're very good at editing or they don't even know how to edit. They'll spend months fiddling around with keyword songs <laughs> and learning about it. And, and But you've talked a lot about quality and not just rushing things out. How do you balance the two? So creating quality content, but not being so worried about quality that you don't actually make anything? <laughs> mm. Well, I think the thing is, you will inevitably get better with every video you make. So I personally really don't like looking at the videos I uploaded four years ago because like the decisions I made with editing and camera angles and lighting, I was like, why, why did they do that? But the bottom line is, it doesn't actually matter that much from YouTube. People, although there is a baseline for quality, it's all about the content. Like, I, I, you know, people love watching streamers and streamers because they're, like it's live, it's very low quality, but it's not, a, they don't care. Like it's about the personalities and, and what's going on. I would say though, that obviously, as I said, there's a baseline. And I think if you had a thousand pounds, you could buy a camera, editing software, maybe like an LED light, a microphone, and you'd have everything you need to make content that would, would work perfectly well on YouTube. And what if you didn't have a thousand pounds? 
what if you had a mobile phone and you didn't have much money at all? What would you recommend then? The one thing which you could get, and this would probably only cost about £40, is a better microphone to fit to your mobile phone. Because it's true that um, particularly if you have a, quite a modern phone, the quality of the camera will actually be really good, but the quality of the microphone will be really naff. And on YouTube, audio is definitely more important than visual. There's something very like frustrating to the viewer about bad audio. I don't know if you've ever been on like a, a bus and, or a train and someone's having a phone call and you could hear the person on the other end and it really grates. But if they were talking to the friend next to them, it wouldn't grate. And it's because of all the frequencies that get amplified by a bad microphone. Mm. It just winds us up. So yeah, get a better microphone. Yeah. Plug it straight into your iPhone or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. And you know, as long as you make some sensible decisions, like when I started, I didn't have lighting, but I made sure to do it on a day where it was sunny enough to get enough light in the room. So it's just like sensible decisions like that. Yeah. And it's interesting what you said about cameras. So a friend of mine who works for BBC London, who actually films our events and may well be filming the one that you're speaking at, which we'll get to in a second. But he said the BBC now, they just use the latest iPhone because everything's on such a shoestring now that often the reporter will film it and edit it and put the whole package together that they often have a tripod and the latest iPhone, which if, if people are creating quality TV content with that. But yeah, I guess it's about understanding the things that are important. I always say, yeah, the, the, if you can't invest in anything, if you've only got a small budget, it, the sound is always going to be the most important thing. And I also noticed that you talked about watching a lot of other people's videos and seeing how people were doing it. And I think people often think there's a formula, like, you know, you just do it like this, but actually watching a lot of content to see where your attention drops off and, and where you lose interest in, and that kind of thing, uh, and learning. I find it really interesting when I'm watching YouTube and I find myself clicking off a video and obviously you're doing it kind of subconsciously, but if you're paying attention, you catch yourself and you think, oh, why am I clicking off this video? Why, you know, I clicked on it in the beginning because I thought it was interesting. And through those experiences, you can get an idea of what makes an engaging video. It's the same thing, like if you wanted to be a filmmaker, you'd watch loads of films. If you wanted to be a musician, you'd listen to loads of music. If you want to be a YouTuber, you watch loads of YouTube. Yeah. Um, and you pay attention to what makes it good and you pay attention to what makes it bad. Yeah. And we will get into this more when you, you speak at the event, but how long do you think people should give it? Um, I told myself that I would make videos for a year as if I'm getting views, regardless of, of you know, if, if no one watches them. Because from my experience of watching other creators, that's kind of what they've been doing. I got lucky and it picked up quite quickly, but I think give it a year. But of course, don't just bang your head against the wall for a year. If it's not picking up, think, okay, maybe I'll try this, maybe I'll try that. Like, experiment until something works. So you're speaking at Courageous Content Live. What's courageous content mean to you? When you think about somebody being courageous with content, what does that mean for you? To put yourself on the internet, especially like your face, your name, is courageous. Because I think the YouTube comment section is a funny place. And I love it and I hate it. Because people just say what they mean. And sometimes they're not even thinking, they're just like splurge into the comments and it's very easy to take it very personally so to even upload yourself onto youtube is courageous but the reason i say i love and hate youtube and the comment section is for every negative comment that is ill-founded and you should just ignore there might actually be a negative comment that's pointing out something that yeah you probably should fix and you know me personally it's not just video quality it's, it's what i'm talking about music theory you know i pride myself on being correct and fact checking on being academic and but the YouTube comment section will often pick me out for that. And because of that, as I'm writing the script, I know, oh, I better double check that because if 
if that's wrong, I'm never going to hear the end of it in on YouTube. Yeah, totally. And what are you going to be talking about at Courageous Content Live? Ultimately, how to make good videos and then more importantly, how to actually get them in front of people's eyeballs because it's ultimately views that turn into earning a living from it or or, or translating it into um, sales in a different department of your of your career. And you're also going to be talking about monetization. So you have advertising on your channel. You also use Patreon. So that's a tool that you can use mm-hmm. so people can pay you money. So you'll be talking a bit more about that. Yeah, I'll be talking about all the different ways that you can monetize it from direct ways such as yeah, Google Ads, Patreon, like you mentioned, sponsorships, merchandise, but also some of the more peripheral ways where because you've got an audience, you can then sort of use that as leverage to open other opportunities in other aspects of your career. Brilliant. Well, we're really excited about it. What do you think will surprise people that you share at the event? Probably that although my first video that I uploaded got 100k views in a few weeks, that my channel isn't what you'd call an an overnight success. Okay, well, we look forward to hearing that. So thanks so much, David. We look forward to the event. So I hope you found that interview useful. If you'd like to check out David's channel, it's David Bennett Piano, and we'll link to that and his socials in the show notes. And I hope it's given you a taste of what to expect if you come and hear David speak at my annual content marketing event, Courageous Content Live. It's happening on November the 1st and 2nd in Newcastle, and there is a virtual version, but given the events of the last few years, we'd really love you to come and join us in person. At the event, David will focus on how he's monetized his YouTube platform. But even if you don't have a YouTube channel, there is going to be a heck of a lot you can learn from his talk because he'll be talking about dealing with advertisers, about how to reach out to potential advertisers and sponsors, how to negotiate fees and contracts, how to use tools like Patreon, where your subscribers and you can do this for any content platform can make a donation to thank you for the content that you're creating and how all of that works. If you're interested in launching a YouTube channel or growing one that you have, this will be perfect for you. But equally, you will learn a ton that you can apply to any content platform. And David is one of a number of amazing keynote speakers that will be talking about all aspects of content and content marketing, blogging, podcasting, social media, you name it, we cover it at Courageous Content Live. And we also really focus on monetization. How do you actually generate income, including recurring revenue from the content that you create in your business? So if you're an aspiring course creator or you already have an online course or membership, there will be tons for you to recover it all. Content marketing, social media marketing, email marketing, And we are the only big event of this type happening in the UK in 2022. So I would love you to join me. I will put a link in the show notes to Courageous Content Live. And there will be more interviews coming up over the next few months with some of our speakers. So you can get to meet them and get an idea of what they'll be talking about at the event. 